read our passages earlier on. Let's pray. Lord, among all the images of military might and fighting and death, may we hear your words of life and support, encouragement and resource. Amen. Some of you uh, will be disappointed and others will be greatly relieved this morning that I'm not going to go on a sort of canter through the various bits of armor Paul speaks about in Ephesians. Uh, but I am going to talk about the whole armour of God, or as I've put it in the title, which I thought was rather snazzy, suited and booted, but whose suit? That's the last time I'm going to refer to that. It seemed a good idea at the time. <laughs> a very, very long time ago, I had a summer job which involved taking people pony riding each week. Different people signed up each time and some could ride and some couldn't. Selecting the legally required riding helmets was a hoot. The farm where we went to to go get the ponies uh, just had a big box on the floor of all sorts of different size helmets and everybody's rummaging through. So if you had too many people with big heads and not enough big headed helmets, hard lines, you weren't going anywhere. I didn't watch much, or don't watch much, Grand Prix racing on the TV. But one race I did watch involved the pile-up of several cars. One driver leapt out of his wrecked car, ran down the side of the track to his team's garage in the pit, jumped into the spare manufacturer's car and drove off. And he did one lap of the track before coming into the pit lane again getting out the car and abandoning the race. And later, when he was asked what went wrong by a TV interviewer, he said, I couldn't drive it. It turned out that the car was set up for the other driver in the team. And so the seat, the control positions, the safety harnesses, the mirrors, everything was set up for the other driver. The pony riders found out, the Grand Prix driver found out that you can't wear someone else's armor. David, in our Old Testament reading, found out. Paul dressed David in his own armor, Saul's bronze helmet on his head and Saul's sword in his hand. I can't wear these, says David. I'm not used to them. You can't wear someone else's armor. And yet, despite that fact, many of us Christians try to live in someone else's armor. Now, this is quite subtle, so listen quite carefully at this point. Sometimes it is absolutely right that others are our strength and our shield. In the early days of faith, someone nurturing us is fantastic. An infant Christian, like an infant human, needs to be cared for and fed and nurtured and raised. Or in times of great trial and tribulation, it's totally understandable that other 
Christians and friends, bolster your own faith with prayer and with help and offered support. The great missionary Gladys Aylward wrote many letters to many people. Her letters were voluminous over her life. And to those who said, oh, I wish I had your faith, she said over her life many hundreds of times to such people, use my faith for a while. For a while. Because there comes a time, doesn't there, when what you've borrowed from somebody else must become yours. All religious traditions have a rite of passage which symbolizes a time of separation from and then attachment to in your own name. Jewish males have the bar mitzvah. Red Indians have times when a male child becomes a brave. Christians have conversion or confirmation or believer's baptism. For many of us who are parents of children, the question, will our child grow to own our faith, our lifestyle, our values, is actually a pretty crucial one. And in asking it, we're saying at one and the same time that they've lived in our armor, and that's right, but we know that there will come a time when they must make their own choices and decisions when they need their own armor, and that's right too. Sadly, I can think of folk in the church that I've known down the years whose faith was wholly tied up with that of another person, a revered parent, a treasured friend. And they effectively lived vicariously off somebody else's faith. They never quite found their own. So that when that parent died or the friend went away and they were left high and dry and empty, they were faith light. It had because ultimately, you can't wear someone else's armor. A variation of this is the armor, or using the armor, of actually attending and belonging to church. Again, there's a subtlety involved. Just listen carefully for a moment. Church going, being part of a faith community, is enormously valuable. It's crucial to Christian growth and discipleship. But you know, the local church can also be a great place to hide from God. To evade the real challenge of whether or not we ourselves have a faith or it's just basically the faith of the church. As Billy Graham used to say, you can sleep in a garage, but you don't become a car. But ultimately, whether it be a loved mentor or a friend, a parent or a friendly congregation, you can't wear someone else's armor. And possibly realizing that, many Christians then go on to make a further mistake. They try and build their own armor. 
They try to be Christian by their own efforts. And again, that's laudable. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with trying hard to be a Christian. In fact, I wish more of us would try harder to be Christian disciples. But there is a kind of built-in impossibility in the task. Just as you can't pull yourself up by your own bootlaces, you can't be a Christian by your own efforts. In the realm of faith, you can't make your own armor. An attempt to try and stand on our own feet, girded with the things that we've created and built around us, is like erecting a machine to measure the wind speed and then finding in the morning it's blown over. So you can't wear someone else's armor and you can't make your own armor. So what do you do? There's an interesting story in 1 Samuel, a little later than the story we read earlier. Time prevented us from reading the stories. All stories in 1 Samuel are really long. It's one unfolding narrative for about, well, around about 24,000 words, even longer than one of my sermons. Uh, but a little a few chapters further on, uh, David is now fleeing from a deranged King Saul. He comes across a priest called Ahimelech at a shrine. And the priest offers the escaping David food from the Lord's table. And then seeing that he has no armor or what protection at all and is in need, Ahimelech offers him Goliath's sword with the words, if you want it, take it. Or better in the Hebrew, make it your own, which is what the words actually mean. And David replies, I will give it to me. And from that time onwards in the book of Samuel, David does have a sword that once belonged to Goliath of Gath, the story of whom Ali told us so poignantly earlier in the service. A long time ago, a friend loaned me a book, and as I read it, I realized this was gold dust for the subject I was trying to find out about. And I know this is going to make some of you squirm, but I desperately wanted to scribble all over in the margins, which is what I do with lots of books when I use them for research and purposes. I scribble on this, remember this, Martin, or go back to page 47 or whatever. And you can always tell a book that I've had for a little while because no one else wants to touch it. But I resisted because, after all, it wasn't my book. When I handed it back to my friend, he said, has it been any use to you? I said, it's great. I've got to find myself a copy, and then I'll scribble notes in it. And he smiled and handed it back to me and said, if you want it, it's a gift, take it. And I took it gratefully. I couldn't have just taken it and kept it up to that point. That wouldn't have made it mine. But when something is offered to you by its owner, we can receive it so that it becomes 
ours. Isn't that what the person does when instead of living on parents or someone else's faith, gets to a point in their life where they say in one way, shape or form, I believe. Isn't that what happens when a person benefiting from belonging to the church fellowship says one day like Ruth in another Old Testament story, your people will be my people and your God will be my God and your faith will be my faith. I believe. So, when writing to the Christians in Ephesus, Paul doesn't say, put on my armor. For like David, the Christians in Ephesus would say, not used to this, can't wear this. Nor does Paul say, make your own armor and get prepared because there's testing times coming. Because Paul knows that's impossible. Instead, what Paul writes to the Ephesians, who all New Testament commentators say you are, are having a dickens of a time in Ephesus, and why Paul's in jail. Put on the whole armor of God. It's God's armor, says Paul implicitly, but is offered to you by its owner and you can receive it and put it on and in so doing, it becomes yours too. Because you see, in the end of the day, that's our only hope. And today, I remind you of the offer again. Today, we can give up wearing someone else's armor and put on the whole armor of God. Today, we can give up making or trying to make our own armor and be resilient and strong and brave and all the other gritted teeth stuff and put on the whole armor of God. For some of us here, that's the challenge today. And for others, it may be that some of us here once received the gift of God's armor in some time past, perhaps several times in times past. We took the whole armor of God on and we stood in it. And then at some point in the past, we took it off again, perhaps for a rest or a stretch of some muscles or because it was chafing somewhere. Do you know, I do not like the book of Leviticus. And today, it's time to put it back on again. Because as Paul writes in Ephesians, not to be suited and booted with God's armor is to actually be vulnerable. And some of us know that that is the word we need to hear today. Paul doesn't write, put on the armor of God. Paul writes, put on the whole armor of God. Because the whole armor of God is needed for the whole of life and is given and needed for every part of the whole of life. 
one last thing. It concerns the overall use of armor. And here is where I tread perilously close to all the military images of the Old Testament that I generally steer clear of like the plague. It's designed, is armor, for engaging in battle while seeking to be as protected as you can. It isn't, in spite of museums that regale us, it isn't designed to be worn indoors like slippers, cozy behind closed doors. It's not best employed by being highly polished and brightly stood in rooms in a castle for people to pay their entrance free in English heritage and look at them as you walk from large room to large room. Put on the whole armor of God, says the writer of Ephesians, so that you may be able to stand against all the evil schemes and having done everything, brackets, you can possibly do, close brackets, to stand. Stand firm with truth, with righteousness, and prepared to go and share the gospel of peace. God's armor is given to enable the living out of our Christian lives. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. It enables our ministry and our mission in every part of our lives, whether in our homes or at work, in the places where to stand sometimes becomes very difficult. It's not meant, is God's armor, to make us defensively entrenched in God's church, where we put our armor on early on Sunday morning and take it off when we get back home on Sunday afternoon and leave it polished for next week in the back bedroom. Are we using it properly? Or are we just rusty? I can't wear these, said David. Make this your own, says Elimelech. Give it to me, says David. Put on the whole armor of God, says Paul. As the Father sends me, so I send you, says Jesus. So there's a response this morning as we sing our final hymn. Because in preparing this sermon and in thinking through prayerfully this morning, there will be some people here who have fallen susceptible to all the things I've mentioned because we're only human. There'll be some people who know that they've never put on the whole armor of God before in their lives. And it's time to. You wonder why you struggle with the basic things that you think you should have mastered. And the answer is that you have not asked God's help and protection. Or you're those people who did put on the armor of God and take it off and put it on and now you've almost forgotten where it is. Or you've been selective. I like this bit that just covers the torso. It's rather fine, don't you think? But I'm absolutely exposed in my head. 
whatever, if during the singing of this hymn, and only this, doesn't matter if two people feel that ministry is for them this morning or 122 people, numbers is not the issue. But if you feel that today the call is to have the resources of a God who says, not just put on the whole armor of God, but here is my gift of the armor of God for you to live your lives. And then come forward and during that time, Ali and Alison will anoint you on your hands. For it's in your hands that is the activity and the protection and the going. We sing together our final hymn, which has, again, these military images. And every time I sing them, I try and imagine I'm a member of the Salvation Army in 1870, and it's all right. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. <laughs>